Welcome back for episode 5. I am excited about today's case. It's actually one that stuck with me since I was about 15 when this case came to headlines. I remember sitting in front of the TV just completely absorbed in the story and since then I think about it from time to time. I just want to warn listeners that there is talk of suicide within this case so if that's triggering for you um, feel free not to listen to this one. Today I'm going to be talking about the case of Rebecca Zahau, which still to this day has remained somewhat of a mystery with a lot of speculation and no clear definitive answer as to what really happened. Rebecca Maui Zahau was found hanging from her partner Jonah Shacknai's California mansion bedroom balcony on 13th of July 2011. There are a few really odd things that come with this crime scene, so buckle up. Firstly, Rebecca is completely naked. Now, I don't have a statistic for how common naked suicide is, but surprisingly, this is a thing. Something along the lines of, I came into this world naked and so I shall leave naked kind of vibe. However, it's not super common. In fact, Amy Bremner the Zahau family's attorney, would state that there had never been a reported case of suicide like this, ever. The events leading up to Rebecca's death are quite messy, and as I dive into them a little deeper, you'll begin to question whether it was suicide, or if Rebecca was actually pushed off that balcony. On the 11th of July 2011, Rebecca was at the Spreckler's Mansion in Coronado, California, which her partner Jonah, founder and owner of Medix Pharmaceutical Corporation, used as a summer estate. Also at the mansion was Rebecca's 13-year-old sister Zena and Jonah's 6-year-old son Max. Rebecca was on babysitting duty, watching over Max at this time. However, during a moment when Rebecca was in the bathroom, Six-year-old Max would fall face-first over a second-full banister, resulting in injuries to his spinal cord as well as to his facial bones. Max's breathing and heart rate were also affected by the fall, and when he was found by Rebecca moments later, he was unresponsive. Zena called 911 and Max was then taken to Rady Children's Hospital, where he remained unresponsive but alive. When Jonah found out about the accident, he called his brother Adam to tell him. Shortly after, Adam contacted Rebecca to discuss if he should travel from Memphis, Tennessee to San Diego to be with his brother. Rebecca told Adam to do what he thought was best. Adam decided that he would travel to California, and the day after the incident with Max, Rebecca dropped her sister, Zena, at the airport for her flight back to Missouri and then picked up Adam, who had just arrived on his flight from Tennessee. From there, Rebecca, Adam, Jonah and a friend named Howard went out for dinner. Once dinner had finished, Rebecca and Adam returned to the Spreckler's mansion, but Jonah would go back to the hospital to be with his son Max and Max's mother Dina. Despite the efforts made to save Max, he would end up dying on the 16th of July due to brain damage causing oxygen deprivation. It was on the 26th of July that the autopsy of Max would determine the cause of death to be an accident due to his fall. 
However, Max was assessed prior to his death by a trauma doctor, who reported that Max's cardiac arrest and brain swelling did not align with the injuries experienced, which would therefore indicate that perhaps Max had been suffocated prior to sustaining the injuries associated with his fall. I'm not sure what the right answer is, but I think this is quite fascinating. Now back to the 12th of July, the night before something very sinister happened at the mansion. Rebecca and Adam are reportedly the only ones at the mansion at this time. It was also reported that there was loud music coming from the mansion later on in the night. Was someone trying to cover something up? And why did a neighbour hear a scream coming from the mansion on that very night? It would be the 13th of July at approximately 6.45am when Adam would reportedly find Rebecca's lifeless naked body hanging from the balcony of the room she was staying in. Her wrists were bound and tied behind her back, and her ankles were also bound. Rebecca had been gagged with a shirt, and she had tape residue on her legs. Following Adam's discovery, he would proceed to call 911 and also text his brother Jonah. He then went into the kitchen to grab a knife so he could cut Rebecca down and administer CPR. Unfortunately, Adam had no luck, and when paramedics arrived on the scene, they also were not able to revive Rebecca. She was announced dead at the scene. Toxicology and forensic testing would be conducted on Rebecca's body. I've read through the autopsy report conducted by Dana Gary, medical examiner, investigator, and Jonathan R. Lucas, deputy medical examiner. I just want to share a few segments of this report with you, as it will provide a clearer idea of the crime scene itself, as well as the autopsy findings. A direct quote from Dr. Gary herself. On the 13th of July 2011 at 19.14 hours, I arrived at the scene located at 1043 Ocean Boulevard in Coronado. The area was sectioned off with yellow crime scene tape and had multiple police vehicles, media presence and large crowds of onlookers. Dr Lucas and I were escorted to the back of the residence to a courtyard area between the main house and a guest house. I noted a naked female body lying on the grassy area beneath a balcony. A rope was hanging from the second-story balcony. The main house was a multi-room, multi-bathroom dwelling, which appeared to be clean and organised. The guest house consisted of two bedrooms. One of the rooms had a suitcase and the other room had an unmade bed, a few pieces of woman's clothing on the floor, makeup wipes on the dresser and a glass of clear liquid on the nightstand. We were escorted upstairs and I noted black painted writings on the bedroom door that led into the room with the balcony. A paintbrush with black paint was lying on the floor of the bedroom. During the above-mentioned scene investigation, I also viewed the body of a naked female as she lay supine to the grass. The deceased's hand and feet were bound with an orange-coloured rope. A similar rope was also around her neck with a piece of cloth on top, also wrapped around her neck. End quote. The toxicology report showed that there was no alcohol or drugs in Rebecca's system, so she was completely sober and coherent at the time of her death, which I find important to note. Rebecca was never on any antidepressant or antipsychosis medication, and as far as we know, she did not have any serious underlying mental health issues or suicidal tendencies. The autopsy also stated that there was no evidence towards sexual assault against Rebecca, which was another fact that would substantiate claims of suicide over homicide. Now, the autopsy itself is incredibly detailed, so I won't be launching into that fully, but ultimately, the cause of death was ruled as hanging, 
and the manner of death as suicide, as signed off by Dr. Lucas on the 2nd of September 2011. Alright, so yes, it was initially ruled a suicide, but there are some pieces of evidence I cannot shake. Firstly, Rebecca had four instances of head trauma, and there have been numerous theories against this evidence. Dr. Lucas, the doctor that ruled it a suicide, stated that because there had been evidence that Rebecca went over the balcony non-vertically, she therefore could have hit her head on the balcony on the way down. However, there were sceptics going against this theory. Forensic consultant Dr. Maurice Godwin believed that the chances of bumping into the railing going over the balcony and hitting your head four times is highly unlikely. One reason for that speculation is that somebody was apparently viewing bondage pornography from inside the 10-bedroom mansion on the night of Rebecca's death. When authorities did a search of the house computers, they found that someone had been looking at bondage and Asian porn on that night. Google searches for keywords like sexy, Asian and rape were made the night that Rebecca died. The links themselves were of Asian bondage porn and anime porn. One of the images that was reportedly looked at from inside the mansion the night of Rebecca's death was of a bound Asian woman, Zahao's family attorney Anne Bremner told CBS 8 in San Diego in 2011. This was important to the investigation because the image was called Bond Anime and it shows an Asian woman bound, at least her hands are bound behind her back. In July of 2013, two years after the suicide ruling, Rebecca's mother and sister Mary filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Max's mother, Dina Shaknai, Dina's twin sister, Nina Romano, and Jonah's brother, Adam Shaknai. Furthermore, at the request of the Zahao family, there would be a second autopsy carried out by pathologist Dr. Cyril Wetch. This autopsy cast a very different light on the manner of death. Dr. Wetch testified that he believed fractures to Zahao's throat were caused by manual strangulation, not by suicidal hanging. He further stated that he thought Zahao's death was a homicide. In addition, other inaccuracies were found with the Sheriff's Department investigation, including evidence that indicated that Zahao was sexually assaulted before her death, which you will remember was ruled out in the first autopsy. Anyone that enjoys true crime will understand that money and sex are of the most common motives for homicide. So this was a huge change to the information originally provided in the first autopsy report. I'm sure you're wondering a couple more things based on the description of the scene. Why were Rebecca's hands and feet bound? Of course, San Diego Sheriff Roy Frank stated that there were a number of suicide cases where individuals have their hands and feet bound to prevent themselves from changing their minds. Sure, I see how this theory can make sense, but in this case, I'm not really buying it. I'm not an expert, but if one was to hang themselves off a balcony, how easy would it be to change your mind and free yourself? I don't know. Based on the concerns Rebecca's family raised, police performed a reenactment in order to determine if it really would have been possible for Rebecca to bind herself in that way. A video demonstration was created in which a woman wrapped a rope around her hands several times in front of her. She then slipped out one of her hands from the binding and placed her hands behind her back. She rebound them and tightened the bindings with the aid of a rope similar to the one police found in Zahao's hands. If you have now been convinced that this is a plausible explanation for how Rebecca may have bound herself, let me just throw in the fact that Adam worked as a tugboat captain since 1997. From my research, I can see that Adam had started off as a deckhand, 
And do you know what skill was probably essential for a deckhand? Tying knots. Adam would describe himself at trial as a jack of all trades, but a master of none. He would also go on to say that despite working for 28 years in the maritime industry, Shaq Nye said he could not recognise the type of knots that were used to bind Zahao's hands and feet together before her body went over the balcony. I don't know for sure if he was lying. Nobody does. But I find it pretty odd considering he would have had to work with ropes throughout his career on a boat. But hey, that's just my opinion. Okay, don't worry. I'm getting to the ominous writing on the wall now. As mentioned in the scene analysis, there was black painted writings on the bedroom wall that led into the room with the balcony, and the paintbrush used was lying on the floor of the bedroom. The sentence read, She saved him, can he save her? The handwriting expert that studied this message testified in court that Zahal did not write this, but he did find similarities in Adam's signature to the letters written on the door. Ultimately, it could be neither confirmed or denied, but this was the opinion of a professional handwriting expert. So, if anyone's opinion on the matter is going to be taken seriously, should it not be his? By April of 2017, the Zahal family released Dina Shaknai and Nina Romano from the lawsuit with prejudice. The lawsuit had been substantiated by a claim from an eyewitness who had alleged that a woman matching Dina Shaknai's description had approached the mansion on the night before Rebecca Zahal's death. Police interviewed a neighbour living two doors down from the mansion who claimed to have heard a woman scream and cry for help the same night. It was confirmed that Dina Shaknai was not seen on surveillance at the hospital that night like Jonah had been. However, her position was determined through GPS triangulation on her cell phone, which put her in the vicinity of Rady Children's Hospital. And by February of 2018, the wrongful death trial against Adam Shaknai would begin. There were many individuals that testified, as you can imagine. The jury were asked two key questions. Did Adam Shaknai touch Rebecca Zahal before her death with the intent to harm her? The jury voted 9 to yes and 3 to no. With the wrongful death verdict, did that touching cause the death of Rebecca Zahal? The jury voted 9 for yes and 3 for no. So ultimately, the jury in the civil trial would determine in April of 2018 that Adam Shacknight was indeed liable for the death of Rebecca Zahal. Rebecca's mother, Putty, was awarded $5.1 million in damages. However, Adam attempted to appeal the conviction, but he ended up withdrawing as a settlement of $600k was made between the Zahal family and the insurance company behind his back. Following the settlement, the judge would dismiss the case, but noted that the verdict against Adam would remain. One of the attorneys working for Adam would state that although the verdict would remain on file, the validity of it was neither here nor there, as it lacked legal standing and cleared Adam's name. There was another reopening of the case in December of 2018, but again the San Diego County Sheriff's Department would rule the manner of death as suicide. That argument that Rebecca had received a voicemail from Jonah informing her that Max would not recover is often used as key evidence that Rebecca would have wanted to commit suicide. In my opinion, this investigation was very poorly done. There was DNA testing conducted which came back with mixed results, but the underwear found in the rubbish bin in the bathroom was never tested, it was completely disregarded. Sheriff's Crime Lab Director Michael Grubb did not dispute the presence of mixed DNA at the crime scene. 
Grubb stated that, quote, DNA can come to be on all sorts of surfaces. Any public surface can gain DNA from a number of people and it will reside there and may be picked up by someone else. When you have low-level mixture and it's so low that it's uninterpretable, it means that even if we have other subjects to compare, it's not going to be fruitful, end quote. Because the amount of mixed DNA recovered was so minuscule, San Diego County Sheriff Bill Gore said it was unnecessary to collect DNA samples from Zahal's boyfriend, Jonah Shacknai, or Jonah's ex-wife, Dina Shacknai. There were also drops of blood found in the bathroom, in the bedroom, and on Rebecca's legs. The blood spots on the carpet and Zahal's body did undergo DNA testing and were identified as her own menstrual blood. However, the blood that was in the shower was not tested. As Gore stated, it was determined to be her own blood through logical investigative work. It honestly sounds like this investigation was heavily based on assumptions and shortcuts which could have ultimately resulted in key evidence being overlooked. I personally believe, based on my own research, that Adam Shacknight is responsible for the death of Rebecca Zahal. I think that there was an altercation that resulted in Adam manually strangling Rebecca before he actually tied her up and either lowered or dropped her over the balcony. This would explain why Rebecca did not have a broken neck or dislocations to her vertebrae. If Rebecca had leaned over and fallen from the balcony, she would have broken or at least had more than minor injuries to her neck. So I believe that Rebecca was actually dead prior to being hung over the balcony. I also feel there is so much evidence against Adam at this point. Adam had motive in the sense that Rebecca had been responsible for his nephew at the time of his accident. I also believe Adam was responsible for the pornographic search history focused on bondage and Asians. I am really open to hearing what other people think though. I'm never going to shut differing opinions down, because at the end of the day, I am an armchair detective at best and can only base my opinions on my own research. I am so grateful for anyone that has given this episode a listen. I really enjoy researching, writing and producing this content. The fact that people are listening to it is just a bonus. To be at almost 380 downloads at the recording of this episode is pretty cool, especially from all kinds of countries and cities too. So I just want to say thank you. If you'd like to, feel free to follow me on Instagram at Shutter Podcast for links to my episodes and updates. Alright, I'll see you guys next time.